This episode is brought to you by Exceder. Exceder provides life science startups with equipment leases on founder-friendly terms to accelerate R&D and commercialization. Lease the equipment you need with Exceder. Extend your runway, hit your milestones. As a podcast listener, you can redeem exclusive discounts with a growing list of biotech vendors and get $500 off your first equipment lease by using promo code TBSP on exceder.com slash rewards. Welcome to the Biotech Startups Podcast by Exceder. Join us as we speak with first-time founders, experienced scientists, serial entrepreneurs, and biotech investors about the challenges and triumphs of running a biotech startup. Gain actionable insight into navigating the life sciences industry in each episode as we explore the business of science from pre-seed to IPO with your host, John Chi. The purpose of the Biotech Startups podcast is to provide general insight into the ever-changing world of life sciences through the experiences of a variety of guests. Exceder is providing this content for general informational purposes only. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Exceder or its affiliates. The use of information on the Biotech Startups podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Exceder representatives or its guests are those of the representatives or guests and do not necessarily reflect the view of Exceder affiliates and content sponsors. In our last episode, we spoke with Jacob Glanville about his entrepreneurial ventures with Distributed Bio and Centervax. If you missed it, be sure to go back and give it a listen. Today, we are excited to shift our focus with Jake to the world of venture capital, providing some insightful fundraising tips for founders. So sit back, relax, and let's get started on our discussion about raising capital for your biotech startup. You know, you mentioned the pitch deck has gone condensed, it's boiled down now instead of like set of product slides that are five slides, it's one. Obviously, you're financing Cenovax differently than DB. What has that experience been like and doing this venture capital route? Obviously, one of the lessons is focus. It's easier to communicate. Are there other tips, strategies that founders out there who are potentially about to embark on this journey that they should keep in mind when they do it? Yeah, for sure. A couple. It was a new learning curve because it's a different culture. You know, I was a professional at pitching antibody discovery. I knew exactly all the pain points and the opportunities, and I knew how these groups think and what they care about. And so I could go speak to that and we could build antibodies. And that's great, but it's a different culture of a different set of pain points and interests when you're talking to venture. And so I would say, you know, it took me more than six months to kind of burn in to get the pitch deck right and figure out the right way to do this. And I was fortunate enough to have some partners and some firms who were able to take some time just to sit with me and give suggestions and stuff, which was really wonderful. So I'd say, A, find mentors like that. Find people that it'd be nice if they raised from them, but if they don't, it's fine. If they're willing to offer you their time, listen to it because those guys are doing what everyone else in your audience is doing, which is they're being overwhelmed with a huge number of incoming proposals. They have seen a lot of companies succeed and they've seen some fail. And so they kind of know what they care about and they have built in rules. And there's almost like a philosophy or an ethos at each one of these firms that can be different between the firms on what they choose to invest in. They call it their investment thesis. 
And so understanding your potential future partner is really helpful because there's some things they all have in common. And I think you want to learn that from them. One is that, yeah, they're busy. So simplicity and communicate yeah. very clearly what you offer, why it's like the next best thing, how you're going to execute successfully and why it's going to be a massive inflection. If there's other pain points, you want to address those. You want to be aware of them and handle them up front. I'm like, here, we've identified the risk factors and here's how we're handling it. You also want to make sure you communicate why this is the amazing selling points. And so find people who are not you and are not your nuclear team to go review your slide deck because you're going to have blind spots to some of these things because you talk about them so much. It's almost second nature to you and seems obvious. And so therefore, you're not going to even think to communicate them. Also, most people are just graphically terrible. And so have somebody who's good at making well-communicating graphics. And I cannot emphasize yeah. this enough because I have people like, <laughs> I swear they're like nose blind to visual cues. Like, look, I work with brilliant people, but sometimes they send me slides where I'm like, this looks like horseshit. Like, what is this? Yeah. And they're like, oh, come on, Jake, you're wasting too much time on that. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, no, I'm like, there's a reason that throughout history, people have invested so much time in art as a method of communication of ideas, right? From yep. things like churches to like very scary people in World War II recognize the power of art to go past part of your brain that uses words to speak to the other half of your brain that interprets truth through images and understands the world in nonverbal ways. And effectively communicating what you're doing with imagery helps avoid half of the audience's brain falling asleep. And you're convincing them in two separate routes to reach part of the mind that detects images. It's a different way of establishing truth and making things seem real and understanding what they are. And so it's not like you want to do like bullshit propaganda, but you definitely yep. do not want to create slides that have a crazy amount of text and they don't have clear images. You want to be able to have an image that like in an instant, they understand what you're talking about. And so I think that's really important. Uh, and there are groups that can help you with that. I think you want to do some pitches with your second tier because you're going to be awful the first couple of times and that's okay. And, and then it's hard, but you want to hear their feedback on why they turn you down. And so if you get declined and you're like, you're going to talk to 60 companies, a bunch of them are going to say, no, you're not a fit for strategic reasons, or there's something you're doing that's dumb, or you fail to communicate the cool thing about your technology. And it's hard to hear someone tell you why your baby's ugly. Yeah. And I'm like, but like, that is a gift. Because yeah. that is a moment where they are giving you absolute honesty. And what you do is you take those notes and figure out, okay, I know my baby's beautiful. How did I fail to present it in a way that is beautiful and for them to understand? And so you want to capture that information and make sure you act on it. You don't want the tail wagging the dog, but you want to understand where did they fail to see what I see? And some of this, I had a pretty renowned CEO took like an hour and a half of her time to be able to share a bunch of her strategy with me, which I deeply appreciate. And it was really helpful. It was like a master's class on this process, which I found very helpful. So I think that's important. I think whining and arguing is not going to help you. <laughs> they made it, it's, it, this is dating, first off. It's, it's yeah. totally, so do not badger them. That is like being a needy high schooler boy. You're going to annoy them. Yep. Be friendly upon rejection, like be a gentleman. Just be like, okay, I see it's not a fit. Thank you very much. Life is long. You're not going to change their mind by nagging them. You're just going to make them hate you. And these people know each other. I think so. You just go, okay, I see it's not a fit. I appreciate it. Do you have any advice for me? I think you ask that question and ask them to give you some feedback. They usually will. And that will arm you for better success. So I think those are key pieces of advice. I think again, like dating, you don't want to go in with too much pressure and you want to have some options. <laughs> so you want yep. to talk to a number of people and you know, this may seem obvious, but I think it's not, do not lie. You want to show yep. why you're awesome. But if you go extend beyond the truth, I think there's a group of people that believe that that's the way to do it. And in this industry, and like, I think some of them actually are successful. So maybe that works for some people. I think it is a terrible idea in pharmaceutical science. And I think if you thought you were going to get away with that, I think this lady from Theranos has closed that door real hard in your face. So yeah. 
I think you need to establish your credibility. So if they're saying something that's incorrect, find a friendly way to correct them because if you don't correct them, they think you don't know what you're talking about or say, look, here's why I think this is different. But you also need to admit when you don't know something because they're also judging whether you have the capacity to be able to take on ideas and whether they even want to deal with you. If I don't, am I going to want to be in bed with this person for the next three years? Are they going to annoy me the whole time? Really listen, take notes and answer the questions they have. Follow up like if you said you're going to do it. And they like fast turnaround. First off, if you're a scientist, just expect they're assuming you're terrible at your job and it's on you to prove them wrong, that you are actually the tour de force that can be executor as well as science. And, and I think for partially good reasons that a lot of scientist training is not naturally conducive towards leadership and execution and, and gathering team members in a way to be strict and have people still like you and focus on business important things as opposed to being distracted by the cool little side quests. Yeah. And so that's part of what they're judging you on. They're judging on whether you're going to be able to listen to them and answer, whether you're tough as nails, but flexible and friendly. So it is an interview of you personally, because ultimately they want to judge the technology. They want to understand how it fits in their thesis of companies that can go really big and, and are the things they want to invest in. But also it's whether they think you can execute and whether they want to be around dealing with you for the next four years. And I think all that comes up in those meetings. And so you want to take that into account and treat it like dating. You're optimistic, yeah. you're confident, you'd like to work with them, but you do not need them and you're not going to be clingy. I think that's the right structure. Amazing insights into this process because I think it's very opaque and very black box and it can be daunting. Like when you don't know anything about the process, you just opt to spray and pray. And you're yeah. like, I'm going to email blast as many people as possible. But I think that's invaluable advice for those who are like to be kind of more concerted and specific and precise about the approach. And, yeah. you know, that kind of like, how do you get a venture capitalist interested? Now, I guess I'll flip it. How did you choose them? And how did you decide what the right amount was? Because obviously, you know, we we're talking before, there's like all kinds of bootstrap company, VC company, the size of how much you raise too is very important. And how did you land on the right VC for you and the right amount. Sure. So this gets back kind of the heart of negotiation. And again, I feel like an area where Zutu Wheel negotiation has helped me and where I feel that some people get this process pretty wrong. And I think partially it's because we're in a culture where people don't negotiate all the time. And so they're like, they feel awkward about negotiation or they think it's some sort of fight and it doesn't have to be. So in terms of deciding who to work with, a VC is not just a source of money. They are a network of other VCs and they have a network to the industry potentially to give you high level contacts that could arrange conversations that are relevant for investment banks as you go through an IPO. They could be acquisition offers. They could be contacts at the high end of the industry. They can be a think tank. They have considerable expertise and contacts in your industry space. And they could be particularly in areas where you might need more strength. So thinking about the commercialization capacity and opportunities, considering, you know, downstream, like just timing, they've seen a lot of companies and they also know for company building, like where are those pain points? Like you're going to need a CFO at this point, those sorts of questions. Now you don't need them to invest with you to get that answer. You could talk to the people who declined and they probably will give you some yeah. advice too. I call all of them. I call them all to thank them after I fundraise and just say, look, I'm actually just looking for some advice now. I want to make sure I nail this. Like you've seen a lot of companies tell me the stupid things that companies do. You see happen over and over again. Tell me the opportunity that are missed, what would you do in my shoes? And those were like amazing conversations. But the person who's invested in you is invested in you. So they're going to be more likely when you call them to go, oh yeah, I won't just give you some advice. I'll also like pick up the phone and call a couple of people and put you in touch with them, right? So strategics are great because they have ex domain expertise. Like I always worry about the blind spots and I try to do everything I can to mitigate. I don't want holes in my ship, but there's no such thing as like too much expertise. If you can synthesize, then there's no such thing as too much expertise. I'd rather hear more options and choose the path. So that's really important. 
there's like basic fit things. It needs to fit like some investment theses, you know, they range from like, oh, we only invest in pre-seed to like, oh, we only do like series B. I had one person who was like, oh, you know, it's too much. I really only invest for like $100,000 for 20% of a company. And I was like, well, that's definitely not me. Yeah, and, yeah, I had, yeah, yeah. and I had another group was like, oh God, you guys are way too early. We don't like get out of bed for a check less than a hundred million. Right. I was like, cool. Well, let's stay in touch. <laughs> Make yeah, yeah, yeah. In the future. <laughs> I think also just to be respectful of their time. Cause that's the other part about dating. It's really just being like respectful to the other person's time and interests and not wasting everybody's time or being annoying is you want to figure out pretty quickly, let them know what you're about and where you're at so that they can decide whether, you know, and if you're not a fit, figure out in the first five minutes, you can give them their meeting back, right? Not waste yeah. time. And at that point you can chat a bit and make some friends, but make sure it's a fit that you're aligned on in terms of where you're going. So I think those are the key things. I think reputation also matters. So I make a point of knowing the people I'm about to talk to and I don't try to do cold call. So again, like there's a tendency of I'll find all their emails and I'll email them all. That is the dating equivalent of just texting you up to 30 yeah, people at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and that is not how to line up an effective conversation. Get someone you know to provide you an introduction, ideally to one of the partners. You want to talk to the people, the decision makers at the top. If you have them in your network, absolutely that's the conversation and have a hot contact so they know who you are. And then you can have a really productive conversation. And I just open to be like, look, here's what we're working on. Is this the kind of thing you invest in? Because that way I, I save them. I don't want to like keep it secret and think that I'm going to like change their mind on a call. Yep. I've seen people do that. It's just disrespectful the other guy's time. And if it is potentially interesting, then you have a conversation. And so I think that's part of it. And I know the reputation. I contact the people they've invested in and I know what was it like working with them? Did you all make out, right? Which then gets to you know the negotiation over how much this is worth. And I think this is an area where I've seen errors on both sides. I've seen companies get taken advantage of, but I've also seen like a lot of people have this paranoia and then maybe I used to have it some too. They're like, oh, the VC is really out there to get you. It's like, no, the VC is just like you. They're a business that needs to make money and everyone on the table should win, right? You don't want to get radically unfair terms for either party, but I think people spend a lot of time really trying to like game the system to get like an extra two or three points. And it's like, figure out a fair and reasonable relationship. And so what I do is I go, what's the minimum amount I need to succeed? And I look at market comparators. So there's a whole bunch of precedent transactions you can look up to understand what is typically market. And then it's like the market. You go around and you ask a couple of people how much they're going to charge for their mangoes and get a sense of what the market is and then figure out how good the mangoes look and whether you want to keep working with that person again. And so I think those things kind of all add up. I think there's also, I don't know, I read a bunch of books about, oh, you got to like time it to get like eight different bids all at the same time. I'm like, (laughs) honestly, I wonder how often that actually happens. I think it sounds, someone wrote a book to be like, oh, this would be really, really sweet. But I think honestly, just given time frame of how many different legitimate bids are you going to line up all at the same time and how much of a discount are you actually going to drive from that? I think sometimes you'll run into a situation like that. Maybe like ChatGBT probably had a bunch of different bids coming in and they had like a feeding frenzy for the technology. I think my feeling was I wanted to have enough options that I could choose to say no to a couple and pick ones that I think made the most sense. And so that happened. I think for me, what was great about NFX and GHIC was that like I knew people in NFX. So I knew Omri. He's a fantastic guy. He was actually selling his company to Twist when I was working with Twist with Distributed Bio. And then Emily is associated with their firm as well. Emily was the person. That was the CEO who gave me the amazing advice. Yeah. So. So I knew them both over there really well. And I was like, cool, these are people, they're known entities and I know what's up. We all want to make some money. Let's line this up. And they'd seen my work. So they kind of knew I had credibility because they're like, okay, we know that Jacob works his ass off. He knows how to organize his teams and he knows how to execute and he delivers real things. And so I think that helps. And then GHIC is the Global Health Investment Corporations. These guys are like fucking awesome because their job is kind of like BARDA Ventures. They want to make a return, obviously, but their goal is to enable global health security. And so universal vaccines 
machines are like right in their wheelhouse. They have a real deep network and expertise in my space. So like these are people who came from like Gates Foundation cross back and forth, like people from industry, like they're they're thinking about this problem and they've been thinking about it for a long time and they have an amazing network on how to solve the problem of protecting us from all, you know, getting hit with the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And so I think that was super attractive to me to have that network available and that expertise and also to be tapped in to those networks. Like I already had relationships and stuff there, but more is better. And I also was just very impressed in the conversations we had. Their questions were like detailed and very expert. And I think that strategy is born fruit. I think what we've been talking internally is like some of our tactics we've been developing were based on advice from those guys that I thought about after the conversation. I was like, God, that was sharp. Let's go make this happen. And so I've been really happy with that relationship. And so I think that's an important part of the decision is what are they bringing beyond the money? Because the money is helpful, but they can actually bring a lot more to that table. These are also going to be people, you're going to think the same thing. Do I want to be hanging out with this person in a boardroom for the next few years? If you think, oh, I don't really like, they sound really annoying, but I need the money. That's a stupid, that's dumb money. You should have people where you're like, oh God, this is exciting to think about having that person's perspective in this room. And I want to be able to call them up and pick their brain and they care. So I think that's kind of the optimal consideration. I think don't get played. I think also if you give them too good of a deal, if I was the VC, I'd be like, I don't know if this person's going to be a good CEO. They seem like they just rolled over. Like, are yeah. they going to be a good guardian of my funds? But on the other hand, if you're trying to like be such a hard ass, you're trying to like weasel, okay, you're making it unfair for them, or you're just going to be so difficult. I think if I was the VC, I'd be concerned about your capacity to focus on what's essential and execute also. And so I think it's an interview of you in this process. And you should keep that in mind. And you should really ask yourself, like in our space, it's either not going to work, in which case, who cares at biotech, yeah. right? Or it's going to be so phenomenally successful that you're not going to feel the difference of a couple points if you're a founder. And so I think that's a useful thing to keep in mind after all this haggling and all this conversation, like, oh, you're going to do this, like this amount, this amount of dilution and all that. And I'm like, are you still going to get an amazing deal? Then quit screwing around. I think the difference is not between a couple points. The difference between is amazing success or nothing gets done. And yep. so that's kind of my attitude on the final negotiations. I could go into way more detail on this, like the specific terms and stuff that I think are a good idea. But I think the overarching attitude is look to see what's usual in market, get a good lawyer who can counsel you on this because they've done a lot of these contracts. Your job is to hear your lawyers, but also to rein them in because your lawyer's job is to ferociously defend your interests. On the other side, the VC's lawyers got that same role. And then there's going to be a partner in you who are really going to be making the decisions about what matters and what doesn't. And you can kind of find a way to come together and rein both you go okay i hear you guys thank you for protecting me but i want you to chill out a little bit yeah and then, yeah, and then yeah. a deal gets formed <laughs> no i i feel the exact same way it's like yeah. it, it just always comes back leave a little for everyone let's find a win-win here and i think exactly. in 2021 you know there's a kind of like one approach where you just like absolutely go like i don't need any advice i'm just going to get a boatload of money to get a boatload of money and yeah. that's one style to do it too but i think you know, at least my personal preference is to kind of have the relationship, right? Because again, I want to be able to call someone like when things yeah. get tough and they have the experience and the network to like give you real support. Yeah, it's the network and it's also the polishing engine. Like you cannot underestimate the value of that. So like NFX, there are other investors, they're dynamite network. And they're like really sharp about connecting all their leadership. So the CEOs and the C-levels from all other organizations are all on like common chats and we share communication with each other. We know things about people, but they're also like amazing at taking a company and then they have this like, you're going to get a makeover polishing system of being like, let's make sure all the things are good and awesome because we know what's going to be expected next. And so like as a biotech, if you're doing a startup and let's say you're coming out of academia 
you're kind of like Cinderella. Maybe yeah. You have some inherent beauty, but you're wearing a garbage fucking dress. Like your yeah. hair's a mess. You got a mouse crawling around in your ear. And yeah. so they can basically act like the fairy godmother is like, okay, we're going to make you a nice carriage. We're going to get you those shoes. Like this thing, we're going to polish you up for way you're expected because you're about to go to a place you've never been before, which is these next level of raising and consideration. And we want to make sure you're dressed for the ball. And so I think those guys are really good at that. They have good media connections. I think when we did our press release on the funding they also did this like media blitz where there was like multiple articles that came out in oh, parallel wow. about it we ended up on like, cool. all the news it's like a deal that happened recently and like that's awesome especially for us and like 2022 was like a pretty awful year for fundraising and so a lot of people were like oh wow you guys managed to raise during that year you must be really great and so i think that awareness engine that they fuel is i mean it matters right it's like how people hear about the company you want people they're going to invest next to have heard about you a few times so they're like oh that's intervax that sounds really familiar and they walk in the room and they're excited to talk to you and i think yeah. that's another thing you get from the vcs and nfx has been great at that yeah that's funny because internally at exceder we talk about how do we live rent free in yeah. people's minds yeah. that's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. how do we do that and for us it's like we're working with our people it's the scientific community. So we're not just trying to live rent-free in randoms, right? Because, you know, similar to you, there are very scrappy days for Exceder too. And, you know, there's leasing is an old business. Every bank does it. There's tons of leasing companies. How do I get a little bit of mind share? And after over time, polishing that and like honing it over time, like how do we make a name for ourselves? It's still like, it's kind of, I pinch myself when someone's like, oh, I've heard of you before. And I'm like, whoa, because I'm just so used to like the trenches. <laughs> yeah. We're like, nobody gave a crap about us. And they're like, oh, like yeah. you're like a Wells Fargo? And it was like, eh, I mean, scientific Wells Fargo, <laughs> you know, like, so you know, like, you're trying to describe <laughs> nice. it differently, just like trying to figure out how do I like create a name? So I completely empathize with that too. Thank you for all the tips. That's like invaluable. I think any founder that is going to listen to this is going to have a wealth of information. It's almost like a playbook of sorts to really consider rather than just like spray and pray. It's going to be like, okay, yeah. how do I think about this? So I guess, you know, a couple more questions. First, what's in store for Cenovax in the next year? Yeah. So we fundraise, like I mentioned during that interesting period. And it's kind of awesome because it means we're actually set. We have like very nice runway to go get all the things we need done in, in an unusual period where we're actually calm and just able to execute, which has had some interesting side effects. There's a lot of talent. If you're hiring right now, there's a lot of like remarkable talent that's looking around. So there's like a couple opportunities in that space. For us, what we're focusing on is getting our first universal vaccine into people. And so what we raised with those guys gives us the resources to do IND enabling studies. So part of that data package. And then the other thing that's happened is for the first few years, my first few years since 2014, the universal vaccine technology I had been developing with protein antigens. So recombinant protein and an adjuvant. The thing that has happened in the last couple of years from the pandemic is this massive de-risking of the RNA LMP technology. And, you know, billions of people have taken it and it's by and large safe and effective. So it's like super de-risked in terms of a platform. And it has a number of huge advantages. It's uh, much cheaper to manufacture, much, much faster to manufacture, really good built-in immune stimulation and some other advantages. It's the simplicity of manufacture is really the huge advantage. And our technology appears to be very compatible with it, or at least this is something we're going to be validating over the next few months. And if that's the case, we're certainly switching over to doing RNA delivery, LMP delivery of our universal vaccines. And that enables us to get into clinic like almost 10 months faster, which means we will be completed with our phase one studies in 2024, as opposed to really 2025. That's huge yeah. for a startup. So 
gearing up the preclinical package. The other advantage is that the process of research grade material and then advancing into manufacturing, there are now these CROs, which are able to go do that. And it's there's very little changes in that process from when you do the research grade and by very little, almost none to GMP grade, even commercial grade. It's basically, it's the same process. It's a simple process of purifying RNA. You want to qualify things and make sure you're producing what you think you are. And then the packaging is like pretty quick. And so that has been very exciting. That has been one of the areas that I think a lot of pharmas are enthusiastic about and government, frankly, is as well, because it means we can deploy our technologies. And we're stoked about too, because we're going all in on testing this on our lead influenza program. We're doing in vivo work right now with our broad spectrum HIV and broad spectrum coronavirus programs. And we will likely pivot those into RNA as well, depending on the results of the flu program, which basically makes us a universal vaccine company on top of a next gen delivery technology. And so I think that's just been good timing brought about by the pandemic to enable the like de-risking plus the commoditization of being able to use these technologies. So that's our focus area. We are completing a whole bunch of experiments, major sets of milestones that complete by May, essentially, with some stuff that goes on longer. And we're going to be doing a big Series A. So we're aiming to close that around October. And that's what's going to cover us to go and to run clinical in 2024. And so that's big for us. Obviously, going human, there's nothing quite like it in terms of a massive inflection point for the company and a validation of a novel technology platform. And it's also like, it's pretty sexy. Like a normal phase one, you pretty much get safety, right? But for a vaccine, you can go give it to people. And then I can take the serum from those people. And I can test the same questions I've done with pigs and ferrets and mice which is, is the serum of the people who received my vaccine, can it now neutralize viruses over a century back to 1918 and out to future viruses that came out after the manufacturing process, which is what we've seen protection 12 years into the future from this components in the vaccine as far into the future as we can test. So probably much longer than that. And we can go run those same sets of experiments with the humans. So it's a platform validation. And there's a very well-established correlated protection of a one to 40 dilution bar for HAI titer, which is what the FDA cares about. And our technology elicits ultra-broad HAI responses. So that's kind of what we're up to. Flu has been our lead program I worked on the longest, but like the de-risking means that the other programs are coming in faster. So we have broad-spectrum coronavirus vaccine that's currently in animals we're evaluating, our HIV broad-spectrum vaccine. And then those ones are in animals and we're looking to malaria and to a number of other pathogens next. But again, to the focus thing, like we're using the same process and it can move pretty quickly. And if we go RNA, it's actually really fast to go cook up another batch of a new pathogen and test it in vivo in animals. But right now we're focusing on those first three to go move those forward to clinic. And we have some other pathogens to work on afterwards. So that's where we're at. And the whole company is organized towards that purpose. I just hired a crystallographer in to help us gain Mm -hmm. additional crystals of these BNABs we're pulling out of ferrets and pigs and mice. We'll be doing rats and rabbits soon. Like this whole like zoo of universal BNAB generation is sort of, we're going to be pumping out papers on these topics. That's what we're up to. I'm super stoked. Like every time we chat, I'm just fired up. And so I'm super excited. I'm like also super excited. I get to play like a tiny little part and work with you guys. For me, you know, you guys are the true rock stars and badasses, but just like I tell my parents, I'm just like, you see that company? Yeah, I get to work with them a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit, because my parents are not scientists and they're just like, what is all this you're talking about? I can just point and they're like, awesome. So like, I'm super pumped for you and just so invigorating. And it reminds me why I don't do airplanes. Awesome. This is exactly why we do what we do at Exceder, this exact thing. So thank you for your time. 
thanks you, man. We wouldn't have been able to do it without you. Like with DBio, that your company literally helped us do that inflection point launch. So we were able to go do the exit. And like, I warn you, we're going to call you up around October, right after that Series A. I'll be like, hey, John, yeah, here, yeah, comes, yeah. here comes another big old order from old, old Jakey. Yeah, yeah, no worries. We're ready when you are. And like the kind of a closing question is, would you like to give any shout outs to anyone who supported you along the way? I mean, I yeah, it's been a lot. I mean, that's a great closing question because that's the other last piece is like make friends and recognize them and value them. I think this whole thing, you know, really came back to 2012. And I already said thank you to Arvin, Jaume, Sausen, Javier, Dave Sow and I worked together at Renat. And like those people continued on that journey. I, I said thank you to the faculty at UC Berkeley, Glennis and Kim Chalandrick, my parents for the stuff that they did with the just helping the army for doing this journey, this work that I do. And then, you know, distributed bio, building that up and launching it. And I'm just very appreciative to have, you know, the team that helped launch that work up, you know, having Sawson join me, there's Sarah Ives heavily involved in the, you know, she was like a nine year process. She was there for four or five years of that thing. So she's like, you know, a good chunk of the development work. She was involved in the team for that. Nick Bayless was involved since early in the beginning when I mentioned the concept to him back at Stanford of the universal vaccine. He came out and helped us set up the newts. So the neutralization assays with like processing eggs. Sousen and I have been working together since I met. And so she's just been phenomenal. Dave Sow has been amazing. Since you banged on the door. Yeah. Hey. yeah. <laughs> Same with Dave Sow. I knew him since then. We worked together. Stephanie Weisner is our CBO. Her book's out, by the way. It's uh, Building Backwards to Biotech. And it's being taught in a bunch of universities as curriculum. So she's amazing. just been... I'm just an amazing person with like a really amazing ability to go synthesize information from lots of people and have like an amazing network and an expert communicator. And I think her background has been great towards the founding. We have a lot of founders at Cinevax. And I think, I think that speaks to the nature of our DNA that we want lots of expert people at the table. And so having us involved, again, Jemmy's retiring right now. He's been phenomenal to work with. And it's just amazing background as a virologist and uh, just immense expertise and history of working in military and infectious disease science which is kind of what we do, right? And then, you know, our team for the work we do to pull this whole thing together and get it launched. I also want to thank my brother. I was able to build that animal facility because <laughs> he was down there and when knew how to, he was like able to do the whole thing and get the spec in place and make sure the thing was built according to spec. He's like the unsung hero behind the, the starting of the vaccine technology that I was able to be in two places at once because like the only person I trust to go do something like that in Guatemala was my brother and he yeah. nailed it. And so I just want to thank him for making that happen. Amazing. I think something that I'm really taking away for this, it really takes a village. And I always try to gratitude, you know, and just like no one does it alone. So it's really refreshing. And when I hear someone's like, I I did it by myself. I'm like, did you really? It really does take a village. And thank you for your time again. And Mark Davis. I didn't forget. I think Mark Davis. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I would go on for it. But like a lot of people at Stanford, honestly, Stanford was an amazing experience. But Mark Davis is like bizarre strategic genius. He's like so exceptionally good. And so I just, again, this rare person where I was just like, every time I hang out with them, I felt like I learned something and it was really helpful. A lot of great people out there. And I think that's important. It takes a village and it's going to keep taking a village. So make sure to build expertise, but never so much that you've stopped listening to other people because you're always going to be wrong sometimes and you're never going to like learn it all. And if you can do that, you'll build great things. Absolutely. And we'll deep dive on another topic on another episode. We'll do another round of shout outs. We'll do the shout out bench. (laughs) So thanks again, Jake. Appreciate the time. And thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks a lot. That's all for today's episode of the Biotech Startups podcast. We hope you enjoyed our four part series of conversations with Jake Lanville. 
Be sure to tune in to our next series, where we will be chatting with Stephen Visco, co-founder and CEO of PolyPlus. Stephen is an internationally recognized expert in lithium batteries and fuel cells and has been working on the development of next generation batteries for over 30 years. The Biotech Startups Podcast is brought to you by Exceda. Don't want to miss an episode? Make sure to search for Biotech Startups Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and click subscribe. To learn more about our leasing program, visit our website www.excedr.com. We provide research labs with equipment leases on founder-friendly terms to support a path to exceptional outcomes. On behalf of the team here at Exceda, thanks for listening.